Hi, this is Bob from How Many, and when I'm not recording lame promos, I'm listening to Set Lusting Bruce. Or am I? everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is a long time coming discussion. <laughs> this is actually the second, second time Paul and I have talked, but the first one, for some reason, magically did not show up. In fact, as I'm talking to Paul, I am looking at my recording to making sure it is recording. Welcome to the show again, Paul. Thanks. Thank you, Jesse. There was no luck from Lubbock on that night. As, no, there uh, was. Buddy Holly yes, found out the hard way. Yes, indeed, <laughs> there was. Him. Paul, tell us a little about yourself. See, I've been a fan of Bruce's music since I was 10 years old in 1984, uh, from Chicago originally, uh, living in England now since uh, last year when I relocated here to be with the woman who I'm going to marry. <laughs> See, I've seen Bruce in concert almost almost 100 times since 1988. Uh, first show was March 16th, 1988 at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. And so many times in 92, uh, twice in 93 at those benefit shows on the East Coast. Many times on the Ghost of Tom Joad tour, the reunion tour, rising tour. Let's see. And then just once on uh, for Springsteen on Broadway, that was Saturday, November 11th, uh, 2017. So now, I've not seen Bruce in concert for what feels like a long time. You know, Paul, one of the things there are, everyone has gifts. I, I believe that everyone has a unique perspective people bring to the world. But one of your gifts is, and we talked about this before, a encyclopedia, almost photographic in memory yeah. of dates and Springsteen events. Now, yes, is this everything true. in your life, or is it just Springsteen that you have this card many, catalog many in your life. mind? Um, my friends used to call me Paulopedia for certain information related to Bruce. And I've always had a pretty good long-term memory. Short-term's not as good, but uh, for many years I've had a pretty good long-term memory. So once it goes in the vault, unless it's a lot of heavy drinking or uh, some kind of you know impairment due to who knows what <laughs> aging, uh, it usually stays in there. And Bruce, because it you know this is my one of my favorite topics, usually those memories and dates and, and things like that stay in there for quite a while. Yeah, because, um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, Ken Rosen uh, has the E Street Shuffle. He's and wonderful. He, yeah, yeah and, and he gets a daily, um, you know, I subscribe to his daily thing. And I wonder, like, do you know many times, like, oh, I know what he's going to cover today? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um, for significant dates, I mean, I was already thinking about today being uh, Toledo in 77. For some reason, that one was in my mind because I think that's the first time Bruce played Don't Look Back in concert. 
Um, you know, the, the Boston shows when we get to the end of this month, that that's going to be in there, especially the, the 25th. But um, I, I remember March so, so well because this was the first time I saw Bruce uh, um, was during the month of March. And then I actually saw him 20 years later to the first date of my first concert. So I saw him March 16th, 1988 in Chicago. And I also saw him March 16th, 2008 in St. Paul, Minnesota. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I love this that, um, and in fact, um, every time we exchange emails, and by the way, um, I guess it was two or three years ago uh, when we first recorded and and I was working for a different company back then and I was in Lubbock, I was in my hotel room. um, And, you know, since then we have tried many times to talk (laughs) and um, we have a very uh, friendly you know, we, we support each other on Twitter and everything. So, um, but when we exchange emails and you kind of as a sign light, oh, and this is the 16th anniversary of when 41 Shots was, you know, <laughs> was first performed. I was or, at that concert when it debuted, yeah. Yeah. Uh, January 3rd, or January, uh, June 3rd, uh, 2000 in Atlanta. I remember that one. Yeah. That was a good one. I was there. June 3rd is my birthday. How about that? Yeah, you so you can throw that in your file yeah. folder now. 2000, I will. I'll remember yeah. that one. Hey, uh, so um, as you um, – I know we've gone through this before, but it wasn't recorded, and I will not keep bringing that up. But I do <laughs> want, for my listeners who have not heard, talk about growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to? What kind of music <laughs> first captivated you? And then share how you found Bruce. So I remember when we had this conversation in uh, December of 2015 because you were surprised that the first music I ever was exposed to was the Beach Boys. And I I look back on it now and I think, what greater music than the first real American rock band, um, even if it was just considered surf music in the early 1960s. But we had uh, an assortment of eight-track cassette tapes in the late 1970s when I was growing up in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, birthplace of Eddie Vedder and Julianne Phillips, Bruce's first wife. Nice. Um, yeah, how about that? Same hospital, all three of us. Uh, um, and I do remember looking at the, the Beach Boys' greatest hits. So I, I have to stop you, Paul. Do yeah. you think you made the plaque? You know, birthplace of Eddie Vedder, Julianne Phillips. Oh, yeah. Paul Hader. Yeah, it's more significant. Yeah, that's yeah. more significant for them being there than me, being yeah. born there than me, of course. Not but. in my mind, but go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, well. Um, but I do remember looking at the back cover, the photos of the Beach Boys, and thinking, what is it that they are making? Because there was a shot of them in the studio, and thinking in my in my mind at four years old, that looks like something I'm going to be interested in for a very long time. And sure enough, uh, the next music I, I got into heavily in the 80s, believe it or not, would have been the music of Billy Joel, the piano man. And I realized... Um, I, I didn't hear much piano with, with the Beach Boys, but I do remember hearing, obviously, a lot of piano with Billy's music. And then the combination of whenever there was an organ and the piano, that combination really stuck in my mind as, oh, that's the sound I like. And then, of course, a few years later, when I first heard Bruce's music on the radio, um, I re- picked up immediately on Roy's piano and Danny's uh, Hammond B3 organ. But what really was the clincher for me musically was probably Danny's glockenspiel. And I remember hearing Hungry Heart on the radio. And, of course, it's an organ solo in there. 
and the piano just sounds beautiful. It's just such a great pop hit. I mean, um, Bruce would have been crazy not to put that one on the album. John Lando is absolutely right in convincing him to, to record it. But uh, when I first heard Hungry Heart, I, I didn't know who sang it, and it took me a while to get the information on Bruce. But once Born in the USA was released in 1984, I put it together. Oh, that's the same guy. And uh, I was hooked. And actually, the um, just thinking about this today, the way that I got my first Bruce albums in um, 1985 when I was 10 years old, since I was initially just buying 45 singles, uh, was actually, do you remember the Columbia Record House Club? Of ten course, albums yes. For a penny? <laughs> I, I, did, I was part of that scam, or actually they scammed me, I should say. And signed up for it, and I got in the mail, uh, in a big box, among other albums, The River and Born USA <laughs> at the same time. So, um, yeah, that was that was it for me. I, a lot, like a lot of people, I became a fan in 1984. I mean, obviously Bruce had seven top ten singles from one album, so his uh, music was just ubiquitous at the time. It was everywhere, and I still remember wanting to go to the what would have been my first Bruce concert in 1985 in Chicago, and I was forbidden to attend because I was too young. But I still have the ticket. Um, actually, we have it right here up on the wall. I'm going to give you a tour of the uh, apartment, or flat, as they say here. Whenever you see this, Jesse, this faded. Can you see that? I can. Okay, so August 9th, Friday, August 9th, 1985, Soldier Field. That was the That was the concert I wanted to attend, but I couldn't. But my brother did give me his uh, ticket stub, so, so there you go. Um, now, how old would you have been at that time? I would have just turned 11, and actually, my mom, uh, God bless her, she was absolutely right. Uh, there was this was the only concert actually in the in the history of, I think Bruce's uh, many concerts where where fans actually died <laughs> trying to get to the show on Lakeshore Drive. So we would have been taking public transportation, probably the train. But um, yeah, her her fears were definitely confirmed because. That was, uh, I think, as far as I know, the only time that fans were actually killed trying to see Bruce in concert. But I was too young, and I'm glad I waited till uh, the Tunnel of Love tour because I realize now I didn't get all of his catalog probably till about two years later. So by 1988, I was I was ready. I knew every song he did that night except the ones that were unreleased, like Part Man, Part Monkey, and oh, Jesse, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Hey, can I think you hear we just me? Tuned out. Oh, wait a minute. Can you hear me? Wait, just disconnect. Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. I never stopped hearing you. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, like I was saying, I think it would have been a little bit too premature for me to have attended that show being so young and not really appreciating all of Bruce's back catalog. But when I f attended that first concert in 1988, I knew everything except the songs that were completely unreleased, which would have been... Um, I don't think I heard Be True until... I bought the 45 for Fade Away, and I at least that was the first time I owned it. And that, I remember the second set because he did um, "I'm a Coward When It Comes to Love," which was basically a cover song and part man, part monkey. And my friends were looking at each other like, "What? What the hell song is this?" Yeah. Um, but I have such a, a great appreciation for the set list on that tour now, um, having been married and divorced, <laughs> and now getting married again. Um, and realizing it was such an adult, I mean, there's such adult themes, but I, I remember thinking at the time, I don't understand this completely, but someday I will and appreciate it. And all these years later, I really appreciate what he was doing on that, on that tour in terms of the set list and the way he presented his, his material. Cause he really took a big chance, but 
Um, it was only one show on the Tunnel of Love Tour, but I'm really glad I got to see it. Yeah, you know, um, I, I can't remember who, but one of my guests said that you need to have your heart broken a couple of times before you really love Tunnel of Love. Um, yeah, and, and I do think it is a um, it is one of my favorite albums. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't you with our time zone difference, but um, last night a, um, a a writer, a Brian, um, I, I'll draw a blank on his last name, but um, Brian Bihar posted a string of his six favorite Springsteen songs, his six favorite YouTube mm-hmm. songs he was going on. And, and the six Springsteen songs led to a lot of discussion about, you know, how can you just pick six? And if I could, you know, one guy says I could go 150 and just get started. Um, I think the same thing about albums. You know, you kind of say yep. Tunnel of Love is one of my favorites. But then when you start talking about, well, then there's this and there's this and there's this. Right. But uh, there is something special, I think, about that album. Um, yes. just, just the way he shared so much of himself, and especially after reading the autobiography – you you really feel how much of his, his heart he put in there, and how much right. of his self doubt and his uh, depression right. was in there. I mean, it really um, yeah, it was oh, it was unnerving and shocking. I remember listening to it when I was in eighth grade, and even then I picked up on it and I thought, oh, this marriage is in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This yeah. is not the way marriage is supposed to be, as far as I know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got it. And yeah. later on when my marriage was failing, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I understand what Bruce was writing about and going through when he was 38 years old. Um, but, yeah, it was it's really jarring that an artist can put so much of himself into it. I mean, I, I suppose Bob Dylan had done it with Blood on the Tracks. Everybody knew that marriage was falling apart. But um, with Bruce, it was a little bit more direct, and he was taking a chance because he was such a big celebrity at the time. Um, yeah. And I should, I should say – um, you know, being a fan of his music, I, I'm a Gen Xer. I was born in 1974. And so Bruce's music was so popular in the 80s for my generation, but there was this reaction against it in the 90s. Yeah. And that's when I really had the freedom to see him on tour for the first time when I was 18, legally an adult, and had made a lot of money in um, July or June and July of 1992 working for the city for uh, Taste of Chicago. And I put all that money into seeing him on tour in New Jersey and Detroit and Cleveland. And I didn't pick up on the fact that Generation X had moved on to the Seattle grunge scene. And mm-hmm. I just, I didn't care at all about it. Yeah. And here I was 18, 19 caring about, you know, a man who was in his early forties, who is now considered passe and past his prime. Um, but I, I had some great experiences actually on that uh, 92 tour as well, even mm-hmm. though he wasn't touring with the E Street Band. Yeah, um, I, I I agree that, and I do think, you know, it. I'm going to get on my list of things to do is I want to get a couple of old fans, and what I mean old are people who've been around for a while, and talk about those dark years. Like, you know, their feelings on he fired the band? You know, he's yep. moved to California, you know, mm-hmm. and just this – look, we know how the story ends. And, yes, we, and do. we know now um, it's um, – what's interesting is I just watched Bohemian Rhapsody a couple weekends ago. Yep. And uh, you see, you know, uh, Freddie Mercury break up the band, and then they get back. And I just keep thinking of Little Steven has been very mm. vocal over the past year or so, don't break up. 
There was no reason for us to break up. You, you yeah. know, and, and um, you can go do all you want, social, you know, independently, but you, you, you know, that togetherness. And I think Bruce has said that too, yeah. that you, he had to go through that phase, but Absolutely. if he knew now what he did, it would have been just, hey, we're taking a break. We'll see right. you sometime, you know. It was probably a more diplomatic way to do it. He didn't know how, and it couldn't help but come across that everyone was fired, and it hurt them personally and, and professionally. Um, but now, in hindsight, I'm realizing it was a way to preserve the band by taking that break, even as long as it seemed and as painful. And a lot of people were saying it was just kind of Bruce was wandering through the wilderness musically in the 90s. That it was sort of his lost era. Um, but you know, he, he needed to do that to find himself and to get back in the band. I mean, I look at the reunion tour now, it's hard to believe it's the 20th anniversary, but that really was them in a sense, practicing for a year on what they would do in terms of this Renaissance in the 21st century. Um, even though we would lose, uh, Danny and Clarence in the 21st century, but their reunion tour, in a sense, was them getting it together again as a band so that they could be that much more effective in 2002 and 2003 um, and, all, and all those years uh, when they were really a band again and tight. Because I listen to the shows now from 99 and 2000, I think, well, they're, they're playing the notes, but they're not really playing together. They don't have what they had 20 years earlier. But by the time they were... Um, on the road in 2003, I think that final leg of the rising tour, they were so tight and all those years, even the years apart, I think had made them a, a closer and uh, made them the band that they, they really were. Um, and it's, it's actually amazing when I think about it because it could have gone the other way. I mean, like it could have been just the end with uh, the 92 tour and Bruce could have decided, no, I, I don't want to get back together with these guys, but you know, the, the fans were right. The fans really pushed them in that direction. Um, even if and we know from the autobiography, it didn't feel good at first. In 99, it didn't feel right. He was still using the Tom Joad twangy voice for, for singing. He hadn't found his rock and roll voice. But eventually they got it together. And it's amazing some of the shows they've done in the 21st century. When you look at their contemporaries, it's like, wow, they've, they've done some incredible shows in their 50s and in their 60s. You know, this is a band that's really... Still got it, and I think they've got one one good tour left in them for for 2020. Yeah. From your mouth to God's ear. Um, the other mm. thing, like, and uh, I've talked about this um, when we when I went and saw the 2016 River Tour, um, mm. and you know it was the slimmed down E Street Band. You know, with a wrecking ball right. had the E Street Orchestra. You know, and this mm -hmm. one was just the new core band which is when Bare you think about that that many people is the stripped down band right but, nine people yeah you know you watched and the joy they had playing together was so evident and yeah. uh, i've said and i i don't think this is a big revelation but it was clear they knew the road of front of them is shorter than the road behind him there's yes, only much. so many times, and not that anyone's ill or sick, you know, but there are only X not, amount. Not now, but what we yeah. read about is there were some, some close calls. Uh, with, yeah. With, I think Max had some health scares. Yeah. Um, and obviously they've lost two members, but yeah. it was so appropriate that they did tour for that album 
given you know the speech Bruce has at the end of it uh, for Wreck on the Highway, saying you know yeah. this is your life and time is taking away, and yeah. you appreciate the moments that you have together and the time that you are alive because you know, as, as Wreck on the Highway teaches us, life is very fragile, and you know you, you witness someone dying, but it, tomorrow night who it might be you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and there's so much joy in them performing, and. And I also agree with uh, a couple of months ago, um, someone on social media was complaining about, you know, when are you going to get together? When are we going to go? And little Steven kind of was, I think, rightly so. He came across very stern, but in a loving way, like, no, this is our time. You know, this is when you Niels is uh touring you know and Niels just announced the new tour little Steven's toured and Jake is touring and you know uh, Gary is talking about doing a second solo album and you know I, this is you have to let them have their creative time so then when they get back together they're going to be fresh okay come back they're stronger yes yes very much so you know and as Bruce said in the Hall of Fame induction speech you know mm-hmm. He is stronger with the E Street Band. Yes. Ultimately, that's what we learned from his Lost in the Wilderness period in the 90s. Yeah. And it was what the fans wanted, but it was just a matter of time before Bruce realized that it was what he not only uh, needed, but also wanted. And I think at first it was, well, maybe this will help me, uh, you know, find my rock and roll voice. Obviously, he didn't have it in 99 or 2000. We had the Tom Joe twang and he was still had a lot of ambivalence about touring with him again and some of the uh, stronger personalities of the band clashing with him, <laughs> i.e. Danny and Clarence. But um, I, I think in time he realized, yes, I do need these guys. They really do maximize my full potential as a songwriter uh, and the presentation of his music. And nobody else can do that. And that's kind of what we learned from him playing with the other band. They're all good musicians in that 92, 93 band. But ultimately, it's this particular set of men and women who just bring out the best in Bruce and, and his music. Um, and it's such a special bond that they have with the fans. And I was just looking at that footage from 20 years ago in Asbury Park where people are waiting outside the convention hall in the freezing cold just to hear a little bit of the band rehearsing and, and the thrill that it brings. There's just such a such a bond with them, that group of musicians. But um, it was such a blessing that Bruce found them and is – you know, sure, we've lost two of them, but they can still make music together. Um, and uh, love the E Street Band, my favorite band. I, I don't know why when people are asked, oh, what's your favorite band? And they have to think about it. And it's, you know, sometimes they think, well, is, is it the Beatles? Is it the Rolling Stones? And I realize, wait a minute, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Hello, that's the band. <laughs> that's the one. Um, they never do get enough credit. It was kind of um minor tragedy that – uh, they weren't inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while Danny and Clarence were still alive, but um, obviously it's a very special group of musicians, and I don't think anyone can really uh, fully maximize Bruce's potential as a musician and, and songwriter um, with what they're able to do. And um, well, one more tour next year. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do. I think you're really said and. Um... You know, one of the things I was always confused about and understood after reading um, his autobiography is, um, like, if you go see a Willie Nelson concert, 
Mm -hmm. um, he may have his sister Bobby sing lead, or he may have someone else sing lead a song, mm -hmm. and you know, and they'll, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band just someone mm -hmm. has three or four lead singers. You know, they all take ting and turns, and you wonder, you know, like, you know, little Steven has a great voice. Why isn't he lead yep. on something? Why doesn't sure. Neil sing lead, you know? And then mm -hmm. you, and, but in the book, you know, he talked about, you know, it was Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. It was about right. his music. And That's right. he isn't an egotistic about it. It's just, mm -hmm. it's the reality of it. And, and right. I know he later came to embrace the boss, but the longest time he didn't like that nickname, but it really yeah. is a good nickname for him. Absolutely. And so, um, and I think that's why he is thrilled when they go off on their own to share that voice because right. he is proud of them. And he does know that he's blessed with a lot of great musicians mm -hmm. and friends. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a brotherhood. And I mean, it's it's officially a family because one of the East Street Band members is his wife. Yes. <laughs> Three kids together. So it, it really is. It's a brotherhood and, and now a family. Um, obviously, uh, Patty wasn't the first to break the all male barrier. It was Suki Lahav <laughs> in mm -hmm. 1974 and 75. But, um, you know, it's, uh, quite, quite the romance there between Bruce and Patty. And, um, yes. you know, if, if he hadn't married her and, and had kids with her, I don't know if he would have ever reunited with, with a band realizing, oh, this is, the, that was my first family before I created my own. Um, he needed that. He needed to have that experience of, you know, putting the guitar down and being a, a man and a husband and a father. But um, I think realizing, oh, you know, I did marry an E Street band member. That's how I feel about them. I love them that much that I married one of them. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it really is. It's a brotherhood and a family and a very special um, relationship and a, a very special relationship with the fans, too. Absolutely. I um, During the... River Tour, I asked this to a lot of people that were on the podcast. Um, do you feel that he's – first off, when we – the River Tour had a lot of people join him on stage, not just in Dancing in the Dark, but, you know, he had people <laughs> – you know, uh, some of them I've had him on the show here where, mm -hmm. you know, they join him for a song or he wrote the please forgive my son for being, you know, please oh, right, forgive right. the yeah. kid for being late, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And I said, do you think he interacted with the fans more than he used to? Or do you yeah. think it's because of social media we know more about them? I, I think it was gradual. As we remember in 99 and 2000, he hated the fan sign requests. He'd say, put yes. that down. I'm not playing that song. And eventually he warmed up to it in 2008, 2007, mm -hmm. 2008. Um, you know, there was the nightly ritual of bringing a kid on stage for waiting on a sunny day. And Which I think, a yeah. mutual friend of ours adores. Mm -hmm. Nothing mm -hmm. makes our friend... Fran happier than having a she child. She loves thing. that song so much. She loves I mean, that we're song. Have to play it at our she wedding. loves yeah. that. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> and she loves it when the kid sings out of out of tune, out of oh, key, especially. Oh, it, it, it brings her nothing but joy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> her favorite song on the rising by far. By yes. Far. Yeah. Oh, um, she's throwing a pillow at you. 
No, she's actually she's she's left the apartment right now, so she can't even hear this conversation, which oh, okay. is for the best, yeah, actually. Uh, yeah, but I, I think the connection is tighter and it's more genuine. I mean, for crying out loud, there was a marriage proposal on stage during "I Want to Marry You" on the last tour. You yeah. know, I couldn't have seen that happening in the you know 1980s. I mean, he might uh, have read a letter out loud on stage a couple times from a fan, or a fan had asked him for a song before the show. That was mm-hmm. more common. But uh, I think it's because he just appreciates the fans more now. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with social media. I think he just is at that point in his career where it's like, well, what have I got to lose? You know, let him up on stage. You know, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll take that sign request. I'll bring him on stage and I'll go through them and I'll pick out the song that, you know, one of you wants to hear. I mean, that's I, I think because he appreciates the the relationship now and as he gets older and he's going to be turning 70 uh, this year realizes, well, there aren't that many more moments like this to to share. So why not go all out? You know, you want to come on stage and play guitar? Okay. (laughs) You know, I I was there in Philadelphia on that um, second night in September of uh, 2016 when the kid actually had, I I saw him before the show writing down the chords for No Surrender and then indicating to Bruce, if you bring me up on stage, I can play the song. I know the chords. And sure enough, Bruce brought him on stage and the kid played No Surrender with Bruce. It was quite a stunning moment to see that. I mean, he even had the choreography down <laughs> and I, this is something you couldn't have imagined happening in the, in the 1980s or, um, and the first reunion tour. Absolutely not. It was not going to happen. But I think now after losing Clarence and, and Danny and realizing that, you know, time is short, let's just enjoy the moment yeah. and enjoy this relationship that I have because the fans really do understand this man's music and love it. And that's a reason why we make the signs. And I've gotten my sign request played <laughs> in uh, 2009. I hadn't heard I'm going down yet, but I made not one, but two signs for Sunday, uh, September 20th, 2009 at the United center. And sure enough, during the encores, first <laughs> came up to me where I was on the side of the stage and grabbed one of them out of my hand and played it. So that, you know, is these, awesome. these are things, these are yeah. things you just couldn't see him doing years earlier. But I think after the loss of a band member and realizing that, you know, time is short and why not? You know, this is not just another concert. This is someone's life and a memory for the rest of their lives. And um, it, it's very special. And I I don't see other acts doing that. I, I just can't imagine Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones doing this or any of Bruce's peers. I couldn't even imagine Bob Seger doing this on his farewell tour. I just, yeah. um, I, I, it just doesn't happen. This kind of connection and uh, this specific yeah. relationship is very unique. I totally agree. A couple things. Uh, one, uh, Matthew, um, um, Akon, who did really, the yeah, no yeah. surrender. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he was on the episode, he was on the show episode 75. If you guys okay. want to check in him about him talking about it. Um, the, uh, I was at the Houston show where the two brothers, the Mendez brothers, um, got on and did No Surrender. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I often say that watching them sing with the E Street Band is a definition of joy. Yep. Um, yep. They were on the show. But I will t- – I am greedy, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I at, at the end of every concert, mm-hmm. I want one more song. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. I just one more, Bruce. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I want either an obscure song or, yeah. um, you know, um, but when I went to MetLife on mm-hmm. August 25th, 
the second mm-hmm. of three shows that were there. And um, in you know, it was it was at the time one of the longest shows. It almost hit four hours, or it did hit four hours, depending on when you hit oh, clock. And oh. that was the one where, in the middle of Jersey Girl, you know, Bruce stopped and said, "What's going on up there?" And had the guy yeah. and his fiance come up, and they shared the story. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and Bruce changed the lyrics, said, "You know, you you know, you know, you'll marry me," and it ends with mm-hmm. the fireworks. Um, for the first time ever, I went, I'm good. You know what? I I don't need another song. I, this was so in, um, Philadelphia. And by the way, he broke that record with the first night in Philly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Four hours and 10 minutes. And, but it was the second night. Uh, there was a woman, not maybe more than 10 or 15 feet from me. And she had a sign that her husband had been killed in Afghanistan and she mm. wanted a dance with Bruce poor Jersey girl. And I, I couldn't believe it, but I mean, Bruce saw the sign brought her up on stage did a slow dance with her at the end of Jersey girl. Very emotional moment. I just thought, mm. Oh my God, what this is, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, and once again, that connection with fans, I just don't see Mick Jagger or Bob Seger or sting <laughs> or Billy Joel for the matter doing any of these things for, for fans. I just don't see it happening. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, where I, there is that combination of quality of music mm-hmm. and um, someone who's simply not going through the motions doing a greatest hits show, which is basically what Billy Joel does at Madison Square Garden, gets paid pretty pretty well for it. Yeah, um, this and, guy who's still doing the show in a spot. Yeah, and and by the way, yeah. you know Billy Joel is coming to Dal uh, coming to Dallas. Mm-hmm. He's going to play um, the the Texas Rangers are moving to a new ballpark. And so mm-hmm. they're having a Billy Joe's going to play at the old ballpark, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we're going to go see him, and we will have a great time. Right. And yep. and I I know that um, the set list is going to be without with very few exceptions the same mm-hmm. set list as always. I mean it's just it it is you get spoiled with Bruce. You really because do. Yeah. I mean you know um, because if it makes sense, I mean. Um, you've done all this rehearsal, of course you're going to do the similar songs. I mean, that's how yeah. you do the work. That's how you make sure it's it's right. good. But um, he has musical ADD and has to, <laughs> just has to ch- change it up. Um, that's the spontaneity of it. I, I mean, actually, for your quote-unquote spontaneous moments at the Billy Joel concert, they'll probably be doing in soundcheck the uh, Yellow Rose of Texas or something, and then yeah. he'll throw it into River of Dreams to make it seem like, oh, we just did that on the spot. No. Yeah. They would have practiced it at soundcheck to create that quote-unquote spontaneous moment on stage, but yeah. it's actually contrived. With Bruce, no. He doesn't know what signs people are coming in with. He doesn't know what the yeah. situation is. Um, even if it is the river, all 20 songs, there are a lot of other songs to choose from after that. And, and by the way, he abandoned that whole entire format by the time uh, June rolled around with Europe in 2016. And then when he came back, once again, it was basically, eh, we're just going to make it up as we go along. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, um, one of my and I my, you know, the old saying, you'd complain if they hung you with a new rope, which is mm. a quaint southern thing so i hate to complain but um this is your sword is a song that 
I really like. I, I think it, it it speaks to me. It's it's a gospel song, yeah. and I really would have loved to hear that. And that same show well, in <laughs> Houston, he was supposed mm-hmm. to open with that. Really? And Tom Morello looked at him and said, hey, we're in Houston. And so he scratched it and opened with seeds. Oh, and, yeah, there you go. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Because yeah. the last time I was in on Houston. On the streets of Houston town. Sorry, yeah. mister. <laughs> uh, and the previous time he had played at Houston, he opened with seeds. So, right. you know, right. and everyone went crazy. Like, oh, he's saying Houston. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't know this at the time. I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a crazy fan of seeds, but okay, I understand why he's doing it. And right. then when I find out that he was going to play one of my requests, ah! You saw the original set list and it had it on yeah, there? As, yeah, This and, is your sword is the opening yes, song? And, oh, and, oh, and they've sorry. told the story. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Uh, but we got the assigned request of One Step Up. And so, nice. which was not expected. And uh, Oh, I think he played that solo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember and that. that was really great. Um, all right, so as many shows as you've seen mm-hmm. uh, with your uh, Paulpedia, mm-hmm. is there anything you haven't heard that you would want to, or if we need to, something you've only seen <laughs> once or twice and okay. you would have wanted to see? So I'm never going to see it, and he's never going to play it again, nor should he, given uh, the circumstances, but... That cover version of Ballad of Easy Rider from August 20th, 1981 in Los Angeles, the benefit concert for Vietnam veterans, absolutely gorgeous. Um, any time he would play it beyond that would be contrived and not for the right reasons. It just was so beautiful. One of my favorite covers. Also, Drift Away. Um, I'm so glad that Final Night in Jersey was released uh, from 84 with the cover version of it. I've never seen it. I know he's done it in Europe uh, per request, but those would be the two cover songs I'd love. Um, Among the original ones that Bruce wrote that I've never gotten, I'm a bit of a completist, so there are like lingering songs from albums that I've never gotten, like um, Cautious Man, which he's only played, I think, maybe twice, and it was in Minnesota, once in 88, and then another time in... in, uh, Maybe it was 2005. He pulled it out for the solo acoustic tour for Devils and Dust. He was also doing Book of Dreams on that tour. That's the only song from Lucky Town I've never seen done live. He was doing it early on the tour, and I didn't see my first show maybe till May, and he he had dropped it at that point. But he was doing it in April in like Detroit and a couple of other places. So, as a completist, those would be the the two. Not necessarily because of my favorite, but just because I've never seen them performed live. Um, everything else, honestly, I mean, there were songs for years I was waiting for him to do, like Streets of Fire, and then I got it in um, 2003 in New Jersey. He actually opened up the show with it, I think it was, I want to say, July 24th. Um, and then Sandy was the first encore in New Jersey for that night in 2003. But, there, you know, in terms of the songs that I've never seen live, um, boy, I've seen, it, I've seen Mary Queen of Arkansas once. Oh, you know, The Angel, he would have done it in England once in 1996 on the Tom Joad tour. Then, of course, the final show in 2009 in Buffalo, uh, I want to say November 22nd because that's Stevie's birthday, and he played uh, Greetings from Asbury Park in its entirety. He would have done The Angel at that one. So once again, to be a completist, I would have wanted – I should have gone to that show. I wish I'd gone, but my last one on that tour was a week earlier in Milwaukee. Um, And what else have I never seen live? I've seen everything off of – well, in the innocent, I've seen everything from 
Born to Run in Darkness, of course, everything from the river. Uh, I think there might be one on Nebraska I haven't gotten. I, I just Oh, used cars, used cars. Okay, so when I met Bruce in uh, 2005 before the show in, where was that town? Grand Rapids. And he was yeah. taking requests. So he, talk about this, this was really incredible. You... He was actually going up to fans. Okay. He showed them for their requests, and he would actually write them down on a piece of paper. And I think between uh, me and two other people, somebody had asked for car wash, and then there was a woman named Sherry who requested Sherry Darling. And, of course, it being summer, early August, and she being named Sherry, he did Cherry Darling on the uh, on the electric uh, keyboard, but getting used cars would have been kind of cool. But he didn't start doing it till towards the end of that tour, maybe like in Philly or something like. Pleadest, mm-hmm. I think that's one uh, I would have liked to have gotten as well. But otherwise, I think I've seen pretty much everything I've wanted to see. Oh no no no! I take that back. Okay, um, the Wall from um, your same album with the silver yeah. sword from. From Ghost or uh, from High Hopes, uh, I, I absolutely love that song. I, that was a really strange tour he was doing in 2014 for it because he was playing a lot of secondary markets and playing only on like weeknights. Um, and I think the closest he came to Chicago at the time was maybe Cincinnati. Once again, that was on like a Wednesday night and it just wasn't going to happen. Um, maybe Pittsburgh. Once again, seemed nothing was on a weekend for that tour, but um, there's. In, um, I think it's Charlotte, North Carolina, from April of 2014. And he's talking about Walter Stone and, um, oh, what a beautiful song. I mean, he's written many Vietnam songs with that one. That's that's way up there. And um, I would have loved to have been there, at least for one of those shows, to have gotten The Wall. So something a little bit more recent and definitely one that always uh, gets me because of the heartfelt emotion behind it and the fact that this was – you know, his, someone he looked up to who died, you know, in Vietnam and never got to kind of fully maximize his potential as a musician and as the lead singer of the motifs. So uh, I would I would say actually The Wall, I don't know if he's going to do it on the next tour. I would imagine that it's going to be a somewhat political album to kind yeah. of complete the trilogy of a 21st century political album starting <clears throat> with Magic and continuing with Wrecking Ball. And uh, I, I think I know what direction it's going to go in because it is a presidential election year. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, traditionally, Bruce has toured in every presidential election year since 1972. But um, who knows? Maybe he'll, he'll pull it out on the uh, on the while well, he needs to be playing the, the trumpet. So, <laughs> so <laughs> one not, of we'll yeah, see. one of the um, I've, I've ended up seeing him 60 times. And as we've talked about. You know, the amount of times you've seen him is not a barometer of what kind of fan you are. But what I find interesting is um, I was at Nashville in 2014, and he played Mm -hmm. the wall. So, you know, so this is, you know, and and if you go to my boss time, right, it lists your rarities. And, you know, you know, like I was I've seen some covers. Like yeah. when I was at the free show in Dallas where you open with jump, he's only right, played right, right. jump twice. That was great. <laughs> right. You know, um, you know, all or nothing at all that Houston show, but you know, the wall, he's only done 12 times. And I just happened to be right. lucky enough to mm-hmm. hear that. And it was like, wow, that was, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. yeah, that is, it was very good live. 
and uh, that's that's a good choice. Um, so you need Curtis Ram's trumpet for that one, and that was yeah. such a strange tour in 2014. All these secondary markets and places in the South yeah. never played a major market city, it seemed. Um, but yeah, you were going to catch a lot of rarities on that show, given what they were playing in terms of cover, and then the songs from that particular album, High Hope. So you yeah. consider yourself lucky that you're in the South and <laughs> you're in the right yeah. place at the right time for that tour. Because usually we don't get that. You know, being in the East yep. Coast or something, you get a lot more. So it was nice. Spoiled. Spoiled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Paul, you mentioned, talk about, and, and I won't keep you long, but you've met him a couple mm-hmm. of times. Talk yeah. about that. So the first time I would have met Bruce would have been 92 and – I had some special night. Well, actually, let me backtrack because I was going to mention when I actually met him in person to shake his hand. But I'm going to go back to one of these stories where it's like, that that happened to you? You were that fan? But yes, this was me. And, you know, in 92, obviously, I'm a fan through thick and thin, and the ground was a little thin then. And a lot of people were bailing on him because he broke up with the E Street Band. But I think it made him appreciate uh, the fans who did stick around and – I think he wanted to have a young audience, which he was not getting from Generation X at that point. But me being 18 and a fan for life, um, this might have helped me. But anyway, at uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills outside of Detroit, uh, the second night he played there, which would have been a Tuesday, that was um, August 18th, 1992. For some reason, they opened up the doors early that night um, after Bruce had finished the sound check. And my friend and I had seats, you know, the friends and family section on the side, you know, that you get for the tick drop that he's been doing for many years, probably since uh, the 80s. But anyway, we managed to get some pretty good seats right around, mm, I think they dropped probably five or 530. And then we went in half an hour later, just excited about the fact that we had friends and family seats. So. Uh, my friend said, oh, do you, should we go to concessions first to get something to eat? And I said, no, no, let's just go down to the seats and, and see how close we are tonight. Yeah. Um, so we went down there, and I hear a kid kind of singing to a microphone, just baby talk, and didn't think anything of it because, you know, it was like, well, who's going to be on the stage at this this point? You know, we expected it to be empty. So I didn't even know who, who the kid was, and there was a man near him with his, his back to us. So facetiously, I just yelled, all right, Evan. As it turns out, it was Evan Springsteen singing into that microphone at the age of two. Nice. And the man on the stage was none other than his father, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. So Bruce turns around and kind of smiles. And my friend I was with, she kind of went into shock and said, Paul, do you realize that is Bruce? I said, oh, I think it is. So she starts like blowing him kisses and, and can't even speak. Meanwhile, I decide, you know what, I've seen him many times on this uh, tour, and there are two songs that that I've heard he was doing in New Jersey, one of which was Sandy, and the other one being Follow That Dream. So as my friend was sort of in shock looking at Bruce, and we were literally like maybe 20, well, maybe 30 feet away from him. So it was basically more shouting distance. It wasn't where you could have a comfortable conversation in the, you know, <laughs> using your inside voice. You definitely had to yell to get, get your point across or right. your request across. So I uh, yelled, hey, Bruce, Bruce, can you play Sandy tonight? And being a bit far away, he just kind of shook his hand side to side as if to say, mm, maybe. And we'll see, yeah. And, yeah, and then so I said, all right, thinking, okay, that was a no. Well, how about, how about follow that dream <laughs> once again? maybe and I, I i don't know what i yelled after that but i probably said well i love you mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly i was 
18, a skinny guy with a full head of hair. My how times have changed now in my mid 40s. But uh, the, the show goes by, and I'm just thinking, well, I don't think I'll play those songs, but at least I got to talk to him. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So the show goes by. It's a wonderful, wonderful concert. He played at least, I think, 32 songs, including nine encores. But there were two encores in particular that might want to interest you and your listeners to this podcast. So the first encore, uh, Bruce comes up to the microphone. He's strumming his guitar. He says, a uh, young fellow before the show was shouting this one out, so I'm going to do this for you wherever you are. Wherever you are. And he kind of looks over in my general direction, and he says something like, once there was a little seashore town. And so, Sandy, right? Nice. So about seven encores later, I think he has just played uh, – oh, After Born to Run, actually. Um, after Born to Run, he says he decides to play some more songs. That's not the end. And he says, uh, somebody out, out there was shouting for this earlier. I don't know where he is. And at this point, he was actually literally looking for me in the crowd. So I stood up on my seat, started flailing my arms wildly. And he said, man, the blue shirt right there. Nice. So I went from young, young fellow before the show shouting this one out to a man in the blue shirt just like that within seven songs. And he did follow that dream. And he introduced it by saying this was always one of my favorite Elvis Presley songs. Um, I changed the words a little bit, changed the music, but uh, this one was uh, by Elvis. So two encores for me. I requested before the show, <laughs> August 18th, 1992, Palace of Auburn Hills. So that was technically the first time that I spoke to Bruce, and he definitely responded in his own way. <laughs> that is so but, uh, nice. Yeah. Then several months later, the only time that I've ever seen Bruce outside of the United States was in Canada, in Vancouver, and I think this was about mid-October of 92. Keep in mind, I'm a freshman in college at this point, so I'm away from home. My parents have no idea where, where I am most of the time other than mm -hmm. at school. Uh, but this same friend and I actually uh, took a flight from Chicago to Seattle and drove over the border into Canada and went to see Bruce in Vancouver. <laughs> nice. The Coliseum and <clears throat> with some other fans, we were waiting before the show and um, – he came out, and that was the first time I met him and got his autograph. And he seemed a little sleepy. It looked like he just awoken from a nap. But uh, he, was, he was very nice to everybody. And he wasn't really – actually, he did take a request. I think a woman uh, asked for redheaded woman, and he did open the show with that one. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was the first time I met him in person. And I'd meet him again, let's see, at least once or twice on the Ghost of Tom Joe tour. And I don't think I've seen him since Bruce on Broadway when he was greeting the fans before the show. But, yeah, Jesse, I've gotten many autographs over the years. And I stopped, you know, trying to stalk him at hotels. I stopped that behavior, I think, at some point, maybe in 2003, when I tried to get him in Chicago. Um, and I realized, what am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing this. I yeah. have enough autographs. I've got enough re requests in. I I'm good. So, Did um but honestly, the first meeting with him, and I didn't get an autograph, obviously, but the first interaction with him was, in my mind, still the most special because two songs in the in the same concert, in the encores, two obscure songs that you know mean a lot to me. Um, obviously, I've gotten the, the sign song where he actually played I'm Going Down because I made two signs, not just one, but two signs with uh, I'm Going Down on it in Chicago in uh, 2009, but... For for me, the first interaction with Bruce was was the most special because, you know, he played those two songs and uh, what can I say? That was a very special moment for me. That that's awesome. I mean, that's so cool. Uh, mm. Did you did you go to one of the book signings? 
I did um, in Chicago. So this would have been about two weeks after Trump was elected president. So everyone in Chicago was kind of in shell shock and traumatized. And I did get my, my copy of Born to Run signed. You know, of course, we had like maybe five seconds with him. Yes. Um, and all I could say was, Bruce, thank you for your music. And I think he called me buddy like two or three mm-hmm. times. Like, all right, buddy. All right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, so. Yeah, that was the last time I got an autograph was my Born to Run book in November of 2016. Um, so, yeah, there are two great things that happened in that month. I met uh, Bruce to have him sign Born to Run. The Cubs won the World Series, but everything seemed to be offset by the Trump victory. <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah. that was the last time I got Bruce's autograph was when he was signing uh, Born to Run. So, yeah. Good. Are you enjoy living um, in England? Very nice, very civilized society out here. Uh, no guns, no no Trump voters. They're Brexit voters, but they're still not as bad as <laughs> some of the Trumpsters out in the USA. But very very beautiful country. Um, I actually have maternal ancestors who, who started out here in uh, the same county I live in, which is Surrey County. But in uh, 1620, one uh, man named John Alden and his girlfriend Priscilla Mullins got on the Mayflower and came over to Massachusetts. But this is where they started from, was uh, right in this area 400 years ago. So I'm returning to the motherland, literally. Very <laughs> nice. Very yeah. cool. All right. Um, for those of you, this is your first episode. Um, we always um, end with the Mary question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Armstrong has been on the show. He is an Eng- honors English teacher, and he is, um, during the senior year, he has a session with his students where they break down Thunder Road as a poem yep. discussing the um, what's going on and kind of the metaphors and everything there. Sure. So and at the very end, the question he asks is, does Mary get in the car? So that is your question. OK, so Thunder Road is my favorite song uh, by Bruce, in, and it's my favorite song in the history of music, for that matter. Um Obviously, with him, with Bruce being raised Catholic, Mary's a, a very important name. Yes, <laughs> we hear quite a bit in in Catholic grammar school. Uh, if it's not a nun's name, it's the Mary, the mother of Jesus. But um, yes, she does get in the car, and uh, they do live happily ever after briefly. But there's the flip side of Thunder Road, which is the promise, and we know what else can happen down Thunder Road. So. Um, yes, Mary does get in the car and they do live happily ever after briefly, but you got to understand there is life that gets in the way. So three years later, there's, there's racing in the street as well. Um, and that's my second favorite song by Bruce. So I think Thunder Road is the fantasy, uh, what we'd like our life to be and racing in the street too often is the reality. Uh, both songs written on the piano in the key of F. Um, and, and similar because there's a defeatism in both. And there's also, there's a little bit of hope at the end that they're going to ride off into the, into the sunset or at least go down to the sea and wash the sins off their hands. So I think Mary does get in, but it's not all that it's cracked up to be. There is reality that unfortunately intervenes in its own ugly way later, later down Thunder Road, later down the road. Yeah. Um, one of, um, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of me doing 40 days of Springsteen. So, um, this, when this comes out, this will be passed, but, um, and so I'm recording, I'm taking Springsteen lyrics and then talking about them. And, um, the, um, you know, um, 
if I should fall behind, talks about how hard it is to be married. And right. um, it is a lot of work. And I do think that is um, when when you push um, Racing in the Streets where she sits on the porch, right. you know, with the connection of on your front porch, I think is just really um, – what did he say in Songwriters? Did I mean to do that? Mm-hmm. But maybe not. But was I feeling it? Absolutely, you know? Right. And so, absolutely great. Good answer. Very yeah. good answer. And as um, we know, when he says my daddy's house, that's Bruce. That yeah. That is the boyfriend. And um, she's she's come a long way from sitting freely on the porch to Roy Orbison's Only the Lonely to now just kind of sulking and thinking about, you know, what her life became or all of her dreams being torn. But the fact is there is some hope at the end. You know, they are going to get in the car again and she's going to be with him. And he's not racing now. He's actually taking her with him down to the sea for some redemption. So, yeah, I in in my we didn't talk about my top five songs, but actually, "Racing in the Street," "The Promise," and "Thunder Road" all go in there. They're all written on the piano by Bruce in the same key. They're all in the key of F, and they all have that aspect of both hope and and redemption, and also defeat and and disillusionment. But you know, that comes with the reality of life, that it's not always going to be victories and you're going to have some losses and you have to learn to live with the losses as well. Um, yeah, but and, that's like, and I do think that, you know, that could be very easily be a trilogy, um, yeah, you know, absolutely. telling a story and yeah. uh, which is nothing wrong with that at all. Um, very cool. Uh, any other final thoughts before? Uh, we wrap it up. Well, I just I hope it is a political album because that's what we need from him. I hope he isn't I on agree. the sidelines until the night before the election, like he was in 2016. I hope it is a full, full band uh, tour, and I know he's still working on the material. And yes, I hope it is political and completes that trilogy because we need him. I know it's been said to Bruce before, right after 9/11. I was to, just going to bring up the same thing. We need thing. him again. <laughs> I, I I was going to bring up the. You know, the the story, right, is that um, whether it's true or not, I want it to be true that someone said, we need you, and we oh, came back with the that Rising. Man. Huh? Yeah, he was on the Today Show when they played in uh, Asbury Park when the Rising came out, and they had him on the air. That really did happen. Awesome. And uh, as they were both looking at, you know, New York City smoldering way back, way in the distance – um, but we have democracy smoldering, and I'm I'm lucky because I get to avoid it and deal with <laughs> a functioning democracy, although slightly dysfunctional. But uh, he is needed. He is needed again right now in the U.S. So I know the album probably won't come out till the end of the year, but I hope he's touring for the vast majority of 2020 um, into even November. And may his voice be heard, and may it be heard loud with the Street Band and. Um, you know, like once again, Bruce, we need you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You. Good. Uh, Paul, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, just find me on Twitter, Paul Campbell Heider. I'm the one with, uh, I don't even know how, but almost 6,300 followers. <laughs> I, yes. I don't know how that's possible. I was not that popular in high school. I shouldn't be now, but yeah. But nonetheless, um, well, but you are always put out entertaining tweets. And I am so glad after all this time we have gotten to talk again. Um, so if um, 
if you want to join me and share your spring story, reach out to me at setlessingbruce at gmail.com, or you can reach me on Twitter. The show's Twitter is at setlessingbruce, my personal Twitter, at Jesse Jackson DFW. I go back and forth, so you can reach me in either one. Um, go to iTunes, rate and review us. That is how we find new listeners. Um, Paul, you have something special coming up. We're not going to talk about it, but I am wishing you the best. And Thank you, um, There I, might be photos on Twitter. There might not be. I don't know. Yeah, we're going to see. Um, My partner in crime has to make that decision for us. Absolutely. I will. Uh, but um, after the fact, um, in a few months, uh, we should have you back and you can tell us the story. I certainly will. Thank you, All Jesse. All right. So for now, thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast. That is the one, the only, set listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. Does Fran want to say hi? No, of course she doesn't. Yeah, no, 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 you can't see her. Hi, Jesse, how are you? I am good. Um, (laughs) I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. Oh, what? <laughs> because it's my lucky day that you're oh. on the podcast. Oh, no, it's just that Paul is a much nicer speaker than me. I cannot really. That's <laughs> sexy Italian that. accent. That's right. Uh- hey, Jesse here. Don't tell anyone, but Paul and I are trying to get Fran to join us so we can talk about their romantic journey. So keep your fingers crossed. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.